Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to White Rank Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. And boy, oh boy, does my guest this week deserve to put her feet up and pour herself a glass or two or three. As well as anchoring the BBC News throughout the pandemic, she's also been studying to become a psychotherapist and has qualified as a children's therapist already working in primary schools where she's helping children who are struggling with their mental health. Alongside this, as well as homeschooling her own children, Clemency and Wilbur, at her home in London with her husband Mike, a man who can sort anything out. He's a former Royal Marine Commando. She's written a parenting manual called There's No Such Thing As Naughty, which is stuffed full of all the tips and understanding she's acquired across her years of study, as well as her own parenting journey, which didn't start easily. After losing an ovary during an operation to remove a cyst when she was 29, she was told that it was highly unlikely that she would ever fall pregnant naturally. But she and Mike did eventually conceive naturally after four unsuccessful cycles of IVF with Clemency and then a couple of years later with Wilbur, giving her plenty of first-hand parenting experience to draw upon. So let's dial her up and welcome her in. It's Kate Silverton. Kate Silverton, as I live and breathe, how are you? Oh, what a lovely intro. How are you? I'm just so excited to see you. I just like literally want to give you a big warm squid. It's just so nice to see you. Thank you. Well, I mean, you have been stupidly busy in lockdown and writing about children's mental health and, and mental well-being. So, I mean, did that consume a lot of, of your time? Did that give you some necessary structure? Because um, you're a bit like me. You like to be busy, Kate. I can't imagine that lockdown sat well with you. 
Yeah, we're sort of human doers, not beers, aren't mm. we? Um, which I am still focusing more on um, being a human being and not a human doing, um, which is sort <laughs> of a, a malaise that affects many of us. But um, but yeah, at the beginning of lockdown, I mean, I'd been studying. So I did strictly actually to leverage the work that I was doing in children's mental health. So I was working behind the scenes with charities like Place to Be, the Anna Freud Centre, the NSPCC. So I was doing stuff anyway. And then at the start of lockdown, I was in the school at the school gates talking to other parents. And I already knew it was going to impact on the children that the charities really helped because that's at the really acute end of children's mental health. But here were parents saying to me, my daughter's changed beyond all recognition. She's actually banging her head against the wall. And we've only been in this homeschooling for like a few weeks. And I thought, wow. Mm. So I wrote a few newspaper articles and it was kind of all the research that I'd been doing was bubbling up. And I thought, I need to get all of this down. And it all happened very quickly. I spoke to a publisher. She's like, do it. Um, and before I knew it, I had written this proposal. I'd never written a book before, so I'd written this proposal. And they said, yes, you know, this is necessary, do it. And then it, I ended up from sort of June to November, um, and my poor husband bore the brunt of some of the homeschooling, dare I say, because then it just became this sort of just literally downloading of all this research that I've done over the last 10 to 15 years. Um, because I just thought, we don't have enough therapists out there. We don't have enough support. We know that CAMS is so stretched and, and I could see lockdown, what the Im- impact was on, on very young children and parents, let's face it. So I thought if I can just write something to share all the science that I've been studying and all the knowledge, because there's loads of practical tips and tools that will really help parents right now. They might not have access to and might not need, let's face it, therapists. But if they want to support their children at what is an abnormal time with abnormal circumstances, then, you know, there are ways that we can help really lay the foundations for good future mental health. And also if our children are a little bit older, just to really support them. So it just became this all-consuming thing. And um, and I thought it would be deeply ironic if I'm actually neglecting my own kids in the process. So during the day, I was with my kids. Kate, I've pulled more all-nighters in the last year than I did when I was, like, 20. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I, I've literally – it was – it was insane. And my, at one point, my husband said, this reminds me, you know, The Shining, when Jack Nicholson's sitting there going, yeah. I'm like, I, am, I have now turned into something out of The Shining. So <laughs> but, you know, anyway, so it was a little bit intense. I find writing late at night and into the, the sort of wee small hours quite cathartic and normally very productive. Yeah. And I also used to, when I, when I wrote a lot, I used to get up at five and do three hours of writing until eight. So I just felt that the day couldn't steal that word count from me once it got up and running and the phone started ringing back in the day when people phoned, you know, <laughs> uh, or email started pinging. And so I, I quite, I, I, I think, you know, you're probably, your, your memories of lockdown will be very much linked to those pulling all-nighters or the, you know, and doing something really good, Kate, because as we are coming out of this now, we're only just starting, I think, to realise the fallout, the mental health fallout of especially teenagers and young people who have got no life life references to kind of draw back on. And neither have we. We're not much help to them. We can't go, oh, well, in the pandemic of blah, blah, you know, no, we weren't alive. So it's an extraordinary unknown time 
Which kind of brings me to my first question for you, because I wanted to understand what drove you to want to put another remarkable string on your bow to search out a second career. Uh, Because much like you, I studied and qualified as a counsellor and I have my own reasons for doing it. I'm just curious as to what were yours. Okay, so you're qualified. I'm still on placement as a counsellor, but I am working in school. So I work under supervision. So I was there yesterday. I have my little clients and then I report into supervision. So, but as you say, I'm going on to do my master's. So what, um, what was my, well, I, my degree was in child psychology and, uh, and I think there'd always been a passion. Uh, and as we all know, that stems from when we're, when we're really young, there's always been a passion. I love kids. I love small people. And I, when I had children of my own, and as you said in the introduction, it took me a good five, six years. Mm. And uh, when I got married, we'd given up, but I, I still, my husband and I had still said, we will adopt, we will foster. I always wanted children in my life. I wanted to just, you know, um, be a mom. And, um, so after all of that, I think I'd distanced myself a little bit in those years because it, I thought if it doesn't happen, it, you know, how will I feel about working with children? And then suddenly I was at this miraculous thing of falling pregnant naturally in my 40s. And, and then there was this surge of like, wow, no one actually tells you, A, how hard it is <laughs> for starters. You know, my husband's like, Jesus, getting my green beret was easier than this. And he's like, <laughs> and he's like at least when I, when I got it, then I knew that it was over. He said, this is Operation Relentless, you know. And so. <laughs> so true. In the best so, possible way, obviously. We love our children. Of course. Of course we do. But it was really interesting. He said, look, we've had more training getting a puppy than you actually do. Mm. So there was, and of course, as you say, there's a lot of dark humour. But, you know, I think that's, we need to be quite honest. And I talk about that in the book, just sort of saying, look, actually, I wish we were really able to be more honest about parenting. Because I think in the current climate, and especially in modern life. Anyway, so I have really just, I knew about three, four years ago what I wanted as sort of segue. I've never been afraid of just following my heart with my career. It's like, what brings me joy? Um, and and not that the news didn't bring me joy, but there was this burning desire to sort of go into children's counselling. And I think it was just from seeing my own children. And I was learning from these incredible psychiatrists, Dr. Bruce Perry in the States, Gabor Mate, Margot Sunderland, who have sort of become friends you know friends stroke colleagues and what they were telling me blew my mind and I was like well well everyone needs to know this stuff you know I'm I'm a daughter of a London cabbie so I'm not an academic and and the academic papers I was sort of soaking them up as a journalist but I'm like as a parent we need to know this stuff because it's helping us parent a healthy brain and my goodness our children need it right now so there was just this passion and I thought if I'm going to write about it I need to be qualified. And so that's where the journey started. And as you know, it takes a long time to, to qualify in full. So uh, I qualified, well, so I, as a counsellor on placement with place to be, and then I'm going to start my MA to become a child psychotherapist, which will be another two, three years. What, um, what I'm interested in, Kate, is what were those, you know, the, those, those takeouts that you've just identified where you go, I'm, I'm as a journalist soaking up these academic papers going, every parent needs to know this. What was the stuff they needed to know? And how do you, you know, obviously, Dan, what you have to do is make it digestible to the everyday man yeah. and woman who's not an academic wanting to read, a, you know, a science paper. Exactly. Um, well, first of all, I had been working with families that are supported at the Anna Freud Centre in their sort of family school. 
And we all had the shared experience of what our kids were doing. And everyone was thinking, oh, I must be a really bad parent and my, my son or daughter did something wrong with them. And as we sat together learning all this stuff, because I was learning it with them, we're like, there's nothing wrong with our kids. There's nothing wrong with us. But if we can understand brain development, then we can actually support our children. So there was this sort of light bulb moment. And then they said to me, you need to share this science in a way that is easily accessible because you know then we can go back and say actually now we understand why the naughty step is not not the right thing to be using anyway so what what your question was kind of the, the takeouts the takeouts one that brain development starts in the womb we might think we sort of know that but when you really drill down you're like wow okay so how safe i feel as an adult my anxiety actually starts with how my brain develops in the womb if i'm nursing so the stress of a mom or what's going on in the environment will influence now this is not to scare people because there's an awful lot that then happens but it's just that that sort of understanding that there's a really sort of importance to nurture uh, pregnant women and, and and to support families from a very early age so from conception and then that a baby's brain will develop so it develops on the outside very much because if we were uh, born with our heads as we are, with our brains, at the, you know, sort of fully developed, we wouldn't be able to get out of, of the womb very easily. So Freud said that we were unfinished at birth and we really are physically. So our baby's brains, that's the other thing, is to, are developing at a rate of knots in the first two years. They double in size. Mm. So when we look at that, we're like, wow, OK, so that, that's pretty significant. So this development is happening and there's lots of stuff in the environment that our baby's brains will respond to. Do I feel safe? Am I feeling nurtured? All these things are laying the foundations, little bricks for future mental health. So the more we can do to support our babies, to respond to their needs when they're crying, because that's the only way that they can communicate, and to our children, and understanding that under five, I think this was one of the key things, Alan Shaw, well, there's three things. Alan Shaw, um, is an incredible uh, psychologist, said the biggest gift we can give our children under the age of five is emotional regulation. That is the key to good future mental health. And by that, I mean, our children are feeling really big emotions. And as I explain in the book, very simply, the, our, their brains are not fully developed. They're still developing. So the way they experience the world is different to the way that you and I will. So when we can understand that how our children feel they are going to act out because they don't have the words just yet, that they're not, they're not as articulate as we are. They can't just say, look, I'm really, really angry about the fact that my holiday has just been cancelled, but I can express that in a way that's funny and kind of, you know, it's all mixed up. They just get really, really cross mm -hmm. and they will act stuff out. And also when they are scared, we have what is a stress response. Um, and so again, for our children with their developing bodies and brains, that this stress response, when it's triggered, is a full-blown response. It happens in their bodies, in their minds. And that is what we would used to call a tantrum or a meltdown, whereas actually now that, as in the book I explain, is just a way of saying, my goodness, what is my child telling me in this moment that I need to help them with? How can I help them to regulate? In, when we can help our children to regulate their emotions, we are bringing them back down to calm, carefully, gently, and that is actually helping to shape their brain. Another quick fun fact, attachment. We talk about attachment, which is um, um, Bowlby, which is one of the, sort of the grandfathers really of um, uh, psychiatry and psychology in, in the UK and around the world. 
And he and a lovely lady called Mary Ainsworth found and concluded, <clears throat> and this was what was coming up in my research, that the relationships we have when we're very, very young, sort of naught to two, yeah. will define our future relationships, including the romantic ones. Wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. How? <laughs> so we're sort of distilling attachment theory down. I'd love for people to go away, go, oh my God, because I just was like, oh my God, this is in my studies when I was training to become a counsellor. I was like, what? Yeah. what? And this is Bowlby back in the sort of 40s and 50s. Um, and it's, 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 it's how a baby, a small child, how securely psychologically attached they are to their parent or caregiver. Do I trust that if I cry, if I'm scared, that you will come and soothe me? And if I trust that, then I'm going to see the world as a very um, benevolent place. I'm going to trust that people are kind and that they're going to, you know, that they're going to respond in the way that I expect them to respond. If I'm experiencing difficulty in, in having someone respond to my needs, I might be a little bit more mistrusting. It's all nuanced. And I, again, I never want to scare people thinking, oh my no, God. But it's, it's just an interesting how we, what we experience when we're very young will shape the person we become. And I can't state it any clearer. I'm fascinated by it. I wonder where that leaves um, parents that are listening now that have followed, you know, page for page, word for word, Gina Ford, for example, who advocates, let a baby cry it out. You know, mm. they, they will soothe themselves. They will settle themselves. And a lot of people have subscribed to that style of parenting and found it really worked for them. Do you think that actually there's an emotional hangover to that in later life? Well, I do deal with this in the book and I don't ever want to sort of name specific names for perhaps obvious reasons. But if you look at the work of Gabor Maté and I quote them in the book on Margot Sunderland, what we now, firstly is look, there is never, ever, ever any shame or blame with with parenting because we can only do what we've been what we've been told right so you know with you know the victorian era you know there's different generations that will say well do this with your children so we kind of follow what we're what the sort of perceived wisdom is at the time what i wanted with this book is to say here's the science read it in a way that is really accessible there's no finger wagging in the book it's just here's the science and then take on board how it works for you and that's what I've had a lot of parents saying, right, I did. And, and I say there is absolutely, because, you know, for all of our children and for us, as you and I know, with therapy, our brains are always developing. So you can have yeah. a 90 year old that goes into therapy and kind of repairs. So we must never worry that we have damaged our children and that we cannot repair it. But understanding that leaving a baby to cry it out, and I mean prolonged crying, not just a little bit of crying where a baby's got a sort of a wobbly bottom lip, but that prolonged crying is actually the baby stops crying because they give up. Mm. And they and that's a sort of a devastating sort of when we think that, we think they've given up, that they then there is an assumption and babies can experience shame and you know, we know this now. So six months old can experience emotions like shame. And concluding and it's not even a conscious thought as such but there is a conclusion I don't trust that someone's going to come for me when I need them and wow. that's if we think a bit like that then we can think actually that's not what we might want for our children so of course it works for the parent and I say that in the book look we've had a lot of things developed to support understandably frazzled parents like my goodness don't we need it but what if we could use the science now and our ancient wisdom Oh, that's fantastic. 
So, so you've you've pulled all of this into a book, um, which sits alongside your work as therapist. Are you going to continue with the news? Are these two careers that you're you're happy to run parallel to one another, or is there a grand plan to leave broadcasting? Um, there probably is. It's yeah. It's it's getting to the point now where I would I still want to use the journalism, and I still love to be working within the BBC or elsewhere with a program around this. Um, you know, raising awareness around children's mental health. I'd love to be doing a podcast where I'm interviewing all these incredible people that have informed the book. It's just really to get this out there um, as much as possible. And it's why I'm really grateful, you know, when I get invited on to speak to people like you to sort of be able to spread the word, as it were, because the more doing it you know the better so yeah really I've got a little bit of a plan not much of a plan I mean I don't I don't really I don't really sort of plan it out too much my kids come first and foremost and my my lovely hubby um and then the rest is kind of with the counseling and that just brings me such joy so yeah and more of that more of that fantastic well okay good luck with it There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Let's talk about your husband because this takes me nicely uh, to my second question. I love how you two met. So Mike, as we've mentioned, was a Royal Marine commando. And then when you met him in your 30s, he was your teacher. He taught you hostage training before you headed out to Iraq. And he had you hooded and bound and thrown in the back of a Land Rover. Uh, I mean, as, as meetings go, that's quite extraordinary. I wondered what other unlikely or extraordinary meetings have gone on to become something quite meaningful in your life oh god probably quite a lot I mean obviously that was quite yeah Um, uh, that was kind of right up there in terms of um, stories for the kids (laughs) I don't know about you but I tend to sort of meet people on trains I've met like the sculptor Anthony Gormley on the train before you know he was the one that created the angel of the Mm. gates head um you know I've met other boyfriends on trains trains seem to be like a thing for you yeah 
Um, and I think, I mean, look, Mike was probably, that was, you know, meeting him and, as you say, being taken hostage by your husband is, or the man that then becomes your husband is quite something. We we still joke that I've got Stockholm Syndrome. Um, <laughs> Did you know straight away, was there an attraction or is it something that grew and developed with time? I walked in, right, I, I, I'm sort of a bit like, probably a bit similar to you like we really go into things like full-on but I'm a little bit more um Goldie Horn in Private Benjamin than sort of Angelina Jolie in some sort of rusty tough I'm a little bit all over the place so I walked in and I was like I'm going off to Iraq and and I saw this bloke and he stood there with his arms folded and he, I thought he just looks like action man like literally how hot is this man <laughs> and he then proceeded he then was, I pretended that I needed my foot thing to. I stubbed my toe and I was like, oh, I think I might have broken my toe. And, you know, and I was, and he just looked at me as if to sort of go, what, you know, what are you on? And he just sent me off to some, to the army medic. And I was thinking, oh, I was kind of hoping that I might get a bit of TLC. I, I, I engineered all these ways to sort of inveigle myself. And um, he just took the piss out of me for the entire week at how, you know, what I was getting wrong and, and all the rest. And I talked too much, funny old thing. That, that hasn't changed. And, um, and, uh, and, but there was definitely a frisson. Yeah, definitely a frisson uh, throughout that week. And So who uh, made the first move to take it from instructor and student to, you know? Uh, he did, he reached out. He did reach out. And um, uh, yeah, it wasn't for quite some months after that we sort of met again. Um, but it was, I think we knew, although I was a commitment phobe from, I mean, I was such a commitment phobe. So I did sort of, you know, start and stop a few times once we did decide to get together. Um, and uh, yeah, actually, then that's, we were talking about therapy. And uh, I actually, I went to the therapist because I said, look, seriously, I, I've got, I've got these men, and I can't choose between them. And this voice at the other end of the phone, she said, uh, I said, look, I've, I've got this problem, you know, I just need help with it, please. And she said, my dear, the problem is not with them. It is with you. Hold on. You, you were, what did you have? Like you had a, a situation where you had more than Mike on offer. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Oh, that's a predicament, isn't it? So you weren't looking for love with Mike. It just sort of found you because were you otherwise engaged? Yeah, it found me. And, uh, and I've, I, you know, I've been very lucky. I've had lovely, lovely boyfriends, but there was always this sort of, you know, where's the one, you know, who's the one and will I know it when I meet him? And I think I, I, when I met Mike, I knew, I just knew. And, um, but that scared me. And so I think that's kind of where the confusion was. It was like, I, 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 how can I trust this feeling? You know, I just, you know, I'm 35 and I've met lots of lovely men, but nothing is quite, and uh, and he was this man, and it, it, he just sort of seemed to, we'd seen quite worlds apart and where we came from and everything. And um, but I just knew, but I sort of needed that confidence, and I needed to understand why my reticence was there. So that was what was was really sort of helpful with going into therapy. So your therapist told you to look at yourself, but then in turn you obviously have to look at well, which which of these men mean more to you you know what, what what's working for mm. you how did you extract yourself from the other situation um so I think it, it happened over time really I I'm very sort of I don't like to sort of overlap because I think it's obviously not fair and I really wanted to give that relationship a chance to see what was working there 
Um, and he'll kill me because we're still in touch. And um, but you know, but it then just became obvious, and I had to have that honest conversation of just saying, look, I've I've met somebody, and and I think, and I'd actually dated other men as well. I sort of broke up with Mike again. And, and then I dated these other men and they kept saying, look, you're obviously in love with this guy, Mike. Like, what are you doing? And I'm like, really? Is it that obvious? <laughs> and then, you know, I just I said to Mike, thank you for waiting. He said, look, you, you, you obviously needed to get this out of your system. It was kind of, I think it was that thing of this, you know, he's the one and that's it then. It's, that's it for life. And there was something in that that I had to unpick. Um, and uh, and thankfully, my gorgeous hubby sort of got it and just said, look, I think, you know, that whole thing of, you know, when you love someone, you set them free. And so uh, he set me free and kind of just went, look, do your thing and when you're ready, you know. And um, so thankfully, thankfully, um, you know, I, I sort of understood what it was that had been sending me off all over the place and and uh, I made that commitment and I've, we've never looked back. He's my soulmate and I'm hugely grateful. So when you went back, uh, what, what was the moment? Was there like a Ross and Rachel moment where you go, I'm back. I've made a terrible mistake. It's you. I love you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was, he was going off to Afghanistan and um, and I just, I, I thought, what if he doesn't come back? And um, I, I lit that with it. And, and my therapist, who is now a friend of former therapist, but she came to the wedding and she always said, listen, everyone's always saying he's lucky to have you. She said, let me tell you, he, you are bloody lucky to have him. She loves Mike. She thinks he's amazing. Um, but yeah, there was a day she said, I'll always remember it. And I phoned her and I went, he's the one. And she was like, bloody hallelujah, you know, because she, you know, <laughs> any good therapist is never going to tell you what to do. Yeah. They're just going to take all this material to and say, you know, I mean, I've written this up as a fiction, Kate. I'm just desperate to get this book finished because I'd love to sort of, you know, to say to other young women, because I went through such trials with it. And I'd go to her and I'd be like, oh, God, I'm dating this guy and he's an absolute, you know, idiot. And, and she'd be clapping her hands and I'd be in tears going, oh, what have I done? I'm like, I've finished with Mike. I'm going out with somebody else and he's not right. She'd be like, it's all good material. And I'd be like, how is this good? But of course it was good because it was making me really look. And she said, really valuable advice, actually, Kate. She said to me, the problem is you're looking at what he doesn't do, not what he does. And when we looked at what my gorgeous hubby did do, it was all the big stuff. Getting up at three o'clock in the morning when I was on breakfast, making me tea and literally chopping up my fruit breakfast to make, you know, he was always there. I mean, he literally said to me once, I would walk over broken glass to come and get you if you ever needed me, you know, from Newcastle where he was. And, and it's that. And I think sometimes we lose sight of the people who really have the most, care for us because we might be caught up that they're driving the wrong car it was a Renault Megane um, <laughs> I don't know when that's ever the right car <laughs> no now it's a Land Rover Defender so we're all good but you know there's that element where we probably put people in boxes yeah and we sort of say well this he's not doing you know and actually I realized that I'd be happy living in a tent with Mike in a field than you know in a mansion with the with the wrong person I think there was an element of that um and dare I say maybe that's kind of a modern day kind of thing I think for women especially sort of we're trying to have it all and you know if we think that certain boxes have not been ticked we might miss the magic of the mic you know we might miss magic, the magic mic missing our soulmate magic mic 
And then, of course, you knew by the time you were with Mike that there was a chance that you wouldn't conceive naturally. And that's a big thing to take into a relationship. And I'm sure that must have impacted a lot of your flighty behavior, Kate, because you feel like, well, I don't want to fall in love with somebody in case they then leave because I can't possibly maybe give them children. There was an element of that, absolutely. And he was in Afghanistan and I actually went off to go and see, to sort of investigate. I knew that I might have problems because at 29, as you said, I'd lost an ovary. So I, I always had the doctor's voice in my head saying, look, you might find it difficult to conceive. And I was thinking, God, I've left it so long with my flighty behavior, um, you know, that I might have left it too late. And so there was this real feeling. So I went off and, and had these checks done. And actually my AMH, which is the anti-malarian hormone, which every person, woman needs to know about, which is your, you know, how, how many, essentially how many eggs you've got left in your tank, as it were. And, and mine were way down. So that was just a massive shock. And so I, I underwent sort of some stimulation on my own without really telling him because we were still sort of relatively, you know, we just got back together again and, and so I, I had this stimulation and it didn't quite work. And that's when I thought, my God, I've, I've wasted all this time. I met him at 35. If we'd started trying sooner, you know, and I was probably then 37. And I remember sitting in Hyde Park, weeping and just saying, I might not be able to give you children. You know, I might, I might have, you know, it might not happen. And he turned to me and he said, um, he said, you know what? He said, I've got you. And I said, but I'm so sorry. I feel like my body's not, you know, I'm not, I haven't kind of respond. There's something missing. Like, and he just said, look, we've all got something. He said, look at me. I'm going bald. I can't help that. It's just part of my physiology. You'll still love me nonetheless. And I mean, he, you know, he was doing it not to make enormously light of the thing, but he did make, he always makes me laugh. And it was just his way of saying, look, we all have stuff. And actually, ultimately, it's it's you and me that counts. And we'll make our a friend of mine said, you make your bouquet in life with the flowers within your reach. And he sort of repeated that back to me because I told him that once. And and that was it. And I thought, OK, we will. You know, we can foster, we can adopt. So we started planning then, whereas I think life had been a bit on hold and I'd been a bit in denial. So I do think I think you're right. I think there'd been an element of me distancing myself from that whole commitment because there was this fear that I wouldn't be able to fulfill you know so and I really understand it when coupled now I, I realize how hard it is mm. just you know um, it's it's a very difficult thing to to go through it's yeah. a lot to carry yeah and then here we yeah. are Clemency Wilbur amazing two big babies it, it was it was just ridiculous you know on our wedding day we had come to terms with not being able to have children I weeped, I grieved, I, I grieved the loss, but we did get to the point where we we're like, okay, you know, we, we, we're gonna, we're gonna have children in some way. You know, we were gonna do, we were gonna take part in a scheme where you actually take a child out on a Saturday to the zoo or whatever. And, you know, so it's not even foster care, but it's just, we thought we'd start that process. And I was like, that's so exciting. Um, so there's always, there's always light. There's always a silver lining. Um, but then, yeah, you know, we moved into this house and uh, eight weeks later, I sat in the uh, makeup chair at work. Uh, nine weeks later and everyone knew my background so you know everyone was always a little bit kind of you know we won't talk about it type thing because I knew what a difficult time we had but my lovely makeup lady Jenny she sort of looked and I said god so bloated and she just looked at me and she said do you do you think and it was like almost like a dagger to the heart of like this, I, I've had so many negative pregnancy tests there's no way but there was something about the way she said it 
And that knowing look that a woman has when you can sort of sense that another woman is mm. pregnant. I don't know whether you've ever had yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, you can. I went away. Mike was away in Nigeria at the time. He was traveling. And I went over to the gym. I took got two tests. Uh, from the high street and, and I'd done these tests so many times and just seen that single line and I went to the into, into the loo at the gym and I sort of sat there it was almost like yeah whatever you know and, um, and when I just looked down again there were these two lines and it was a digital test and it said you are more than eight weeks pregnant wow how did that feel? Could, you must always remember that feeling, surely. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm there now in that cubicle. I still, when I look at yeah. the cubicle, like that, the cubicle, it was yeah. extraordinary. And it was just so amazing because it was a digital one. So it was definitive. You know, it wasn't just like, oh, I might be missing this. It was like, you are more than, and I just, oh, I mean, I just, yeah, it was insane. Just insane. I mean, just amazing. And then, and then I fell pregnant another two times afterwards. I mean, I sadly miscarried, but. You know, I seem to be, suddenly I was misfertile. I'm like, what, what the hell's going on? I'm just literally falling pregnant at a drop of a hat. And then the fourth time, I was a bit, I was a bit like, right, well, you know, I've got my beautiful baby, you know, so clemency. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm all good, you know, thank you, universe. I'm all good. Um, and, and I just thought, I thought, right, well, I'll give it another go. I did a little, um, you know, fertility strip. Mike had a nice night and that was one night and, uh, <laughs> Just, I mean, we saw the little strip the next day, and he said, "Are we, uh, are we trying again?" And I said, "No, it's done." I knew, I just knew that I thought, I don't know why. I just think I was in a really. Good you knew you were pregnant. Knew I'd be pregnant, and I knew it would be a boy. And I don't know. I think I just got to the point. I'd really aligned myself. I'd, I'd done my therapy. I'd, you know, I was in a really good place. I just felt very centered, and I just felt. I'm, this is it, I'm gonna, I, I'm pregnant. And it was a very strange, but I've, I've spoken to other women since who've had similar experiences. And um, yeah, and then Wilbur, that was it, that was Wilbur. Ah, I love these, these happy ending stories because when you're told that there is very little hope and then you defy that, I just think that's brilliant. And for so many people listening, you know, some people really need to hear that stuff. Yeah, I, I spent a lot, many years afterwards, actually, with a lot of people reaching out and saying, so what did you do? And there's a lot of stuff that I think we know now. Um, you know, I always advocate, I do say, please don't always just follow my lead because I'd rather, you know, 35, <laughs> I'd rather people start thinking about it earlier. But if you are in that position, there's a lot you can do now. And I do think that whole getting your mind and body aligned as one is really something really helpful. So, you know, I advocate, you know, therapy, whatever it is that makes you feel more centered, because I know how stressful it can be. Now, my last and final question to you, kind of uh, is, is asking you to rake back over your time as a news broadcaster. I want to know about the one story that you've covered or reported that stayed with you beyond all others and why? Gosh, gosh, probably so many. I would say anything that has involved children. I, um, I was in Lesotho covering uh, a story about HIV and the orphans that I met, you know, and I, I think that's always, I, I'm, I'm a huge um, sort of, I love Africa. And so I feel very at home there. And 
I spent time out there with with many families who'd gathered to support those little children who'd been orphaned. Um, and we're doing extraordinary work in raising awareness around HIV and um, the treatments for it so that women didn't weren't shunned. And and I think that probably anything like that that just, you know, reminds me of the compassion that we have as human beings and, you know, why operating in silos, which is what I'm afraid sort of Western society, we've, we've had to sort of become, especially at the moment when everyone's so isolated is that it's not healthy for us we're meant to you know we are social beings we're human beings and we work better in groups and I think supporting each other you know and having that social engagement is vital so I think for those reasons I would say Lesotho the same when I was in Iraq and Afghanistan the power of human kindness and nature we must never forget what it is to be human and that's what I mourn actually at the moment with with the sort of the rules of engagement as it were that we're experiencing I think please let's not forget what it is that makes us human. I think actually if you just if you just rewound the clock a year um to where we are now we were just going into you know the first lockdown well we were in the first lockdown I think we did start to display community kindness compassion we were rethinking what what our behaviors looked like and I really hope that as um as people start to come out of this that those lessons are that I, I hope they're not lost and that they stay and that behavior changes as a result of it, I really do. It's a really good point. It's a really good point. I don't know about you, but I went down and we've got some elderly people on the street and I didn't think she'd want me coming in too close, but I stuck some post-its on her window saying, if you need help, you know, call. Yeah. And, and we'd always smiled at each other and said hello, but it was this lovely, and we were doing all sign language through the windows and everything. And yeah, there was a lot of that, wasn't there? And you're right. And it has, and maybe that's also the drive for me with the book now going on and thinking, well, what do I want my life to look like? And there is, has been a reminder of that. So, so let's take that. Let's take that as that, that uplift from, from where we've been and, and take that forward, as you say. But you, you seem to be very clear on like, you know what you want from your life now. And I think we get to this age and stage in life and you do, you understand you know, and actually, you know, going off and doing something that's really different might, to some people might feel brave or look foolish. Um, but actually, if you know in your heart it's the right thing to do, off you go. You know, that's that's remarkable, Kate. Isn't it lovely as well to find another calling in life? Because some people go through their entire working lives never doing the job that feels like, you know, it was meant for them. That was That was their calling. And it sounds to me like you found a second calling, which is yeah. a bit of a gift. I mean, I think, yeah, I always say follow your heart, you know, because if you're doing something that you enjoy, A, you'll be good at it. And really, life is too short. And there are the worries, the natural worries. So what I always do in my head is I think, right, well, what if this didn't work? OK, well, I've got a log cabin in a field with my name on it. I could sell up, you know, with with my family. So I always think, even though my husband kind of slightly rolls his eyes going, oh, she's off, you know. But, but I'm like, for me, as long as I can shore up the emergency plan, then I'm all good because I'm like, right, I've thought about what would happen if it didn't work. So now I can move forward. And I think that's really important. It's like you don't do it blindly. You do it with a bit of, but driven by a passion, you're never really going to go wrong. And it does lead you down some interesting paths. And if we can be brave, there's that lovely poem about Providence, you know, do it now that it was written by a mountaineer, William Murray. And he's like, 
If you hesitate with stuff, you're going to, you, you're pretty much going to fall. If you go and you step out with confidence, providence follows you. And it's sort of, there's something magical in the universe that happens that helps you in that place. So I always say, follow your heart because, you know, that is where the magic happens. It is. And if nothing else has come out of the last year, it's the fact that we know that things can change in the blink of an eye. The world has fallen flat on its face. So follow the happy because, you know, we're not guaranteed anything like the future we thought we had because we haven't had that for the last year. Yeah. And follow the happy. And it's like if we just remember those small things, you know, then we've just got to put one foot in front of the other and, and hold on to what it is that makes us human and um, not forget that, you know, and um, the power of our connection, uh, hopefully, is, is what's going to get us through. I really hope so. I really, and I really think so. And Kate, continued success with all of the studies. I know how much work you're pouring into it. It's a lot. Thanks, Kate. Thank you very much. And thank you for um, imparting some pearls of wisdom. I love your love story. I think it's one of the finest I've ever heard. And if you did write it up as a novel, Private Benjamin, the love story, I would so be there. It's, it's going to include all the failures as well. No, they're not failures, they're lessons. They're lessons, yes, material, all good material. Yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, Kate, thanks so much. Thank you very much. What a pleasure that was. Kate Silverton, news broadcaster, children's therapist. As always, this show is produced by me, Kate Thornton, alongside Libby Knowles and Richard Hatherall for Yahoo UK. Our music, as always, is provided by Andy Bell. And if you love what you've heard, please tell your friends, or if you can be bothered, rate and review us. We love it when you do, especially if you say nice things. If you've got nothing nice to say, don't bother yourself. Honestly, no worries. Just keep those negative thoughts to yourself and I'll see you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.